1: Came into sharp focus. In the UK, police identifying the suspect who killed two people on London Bridge. Police say they are investigating a suspected connection with a radical Republican organization, the new IRA. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. And freedom will be defended.
0: It was the moment he thought his royalty protection career had come to an end, and not because of an egregious security error but because his colleague and he had lit one too many candles at Balmoral, something that the late Duke of Edinburgh would joke about with them the following evening. Next on Protect and Serve. There are obviously different pressures in policing in terms of, you know, being an armed response officer during a period where London is going through turmoil and and understanding that you could be at the the sharp end in terms of having to deal with threat, and then there's the pressure of being responsible for looking after uh, individual members of the royal household, the most important family this country has in a, in the representation of our monarchy, and essentially that the history of this country is built upon. How do you manage those pressures in terms of the responsibility you have in keeping, you know, when she was alive, Her Majesty the Queen, her husband, the Duke of Edinburgh, the Princess and, and the Prince and Princess of Wales. is there a a moment where you go, you know, I I can't fuck this up?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, yet again, I've taken another job whereby it's all down to you. Yeah. You know, there is nobody else to do it, you know, and as a protection officer, you are that last line of defence. As you you know, any large scale public royal event, you know, has loads of different moving parts within it. But, you know, as the protection officer, uh, on the shoulder of a senior member of the royal family you know it does it does fall to you and yes you, you are immediately aware of the of the role that you've got and the responsibilities now that you have been given and you know when you when you strip it all back you know a protection officer's job is there to preserve life mm-hmm. to preserve life of an individual who ultimately now trusts you to keep them alive. That's, that's why you're there. You know, you you can, you can put uh, various different um, expectations and connotations into that, but the reality is you are there to keep that principle alive. And, and it all, it all falls down to you and you're, you're immediately, you're immediately aware of it. Um, But you then have to balance that between the thought process of still being able to do your job. Because if you, if you look at that and think, gosh, this is, really, this is really important. And as you say, you can't mess it up because of the connotations that everything um, going wrong would stand for. If that then starts to cloud your judgment, very similar to being a firearms officer at S19 and going out and dealing with terrorists, if that then starts to cloud your judgment and you start to doubt the position that you're in, you will get it wrong. So you have to accept the role that you've got. You have to accept that you've been selected for that role. You've been given the best training that you can do. You've been given the best experiences to allow you to have a frame of reference for the job that you do. And you've been given the best equipment that you can do or rather the best equipment that you can have to do that job. And you are sent out and you have to, You have to understand what that job is actually all about. And once you understand that, then you will make a success of it. If you allow that pressure to get to you, then you will ultimately get it wrong. And the consequences of of getting it wrong are somebody loses their life. But also in a wider context, the criticism that Royalty Protection, SO14 as it was then, would get the Metropolitan Police Service and um, UK policing, the Home Office, and um, Her Majesty's Government as it was then, His Majesty's Government as it is now, everything that trades under a British flag that says we're as good as we are, you have all those pressures with you. And and you know you've really got to understand this. But one of the key things of understanding your work is also when you're not in work for it not to be part of your constant thinking you know you have to have that separation between work and and home and you know you you can't get you can't get carried away with it you can't be in a scenario whereby it's it's a team environment you're working in thinking well what is that principal doing now if i'm not there have they gone out have they not gone out you know you when you put your your suit back in back in your locker and your gun back in the armory, that's that's you done and dusted until you're back on on duty again, because otherwise it becomes a little bit all-consuming, and also you, you could be in the scenario whereby you're actually starting to, to blur the lines and indeed, you know, maybe kind of cross the lines as to how um, how important that role is. It happened as Prince Charles was being introduced to the crowd at Darling Harbour, there were two shots. The attacker came within a metre
0: of the prince. Eyewitnesses say the man is aged in his late twenties and tripped as he rushed on stage. You know that the principals, you know, the, regardless, you know, the royal family and our politicians and our prime ministers, they see a lot of protection officers come and go in their lives in terms of the people that are around them all the time. Is there an opportunity, or do they want to understand and get to know, to some extent, the people that are looking after? them? Do they get to know, to some extent, even it being marginal? who is simon morgan the person
1: yes and and that and that varies with with different principles because it, it all hinges on how much time you spend with them and what you're what you're doing with them but but you have to build up a rapport mm. you you have to you have to communicate you know and again you know, you will have a conversation with the queen you will have a conversation with the prince of wales as he was as he was then and it could be something as simple as the rugby that went on the night before because mm-hmm. a connotation within that, it could be something simple. Well, you know, what, what do you think of the weather at the moment? You know, you've got to be able to to talk. If you, if you freeze at that conversation, then, you know, that doesn't build that rapport. And that principle would think, well, I want to ask them about the weather and they've completely kind of frozen and given me gobbledygook back as a, as an answer. You know, how can mm-hmm. I trust this person to keep me alive? So you, you've got to build up that rapport and they do you know understand um, kind of who you are you know even though there's quite quite a few of you you know working with different principles, and you know you you'll be in a scenario certainly as I was as a backup that you know you will drop in and out with different principles. you may be with one principal for a month but then not return with them for six months but you know they they get an understanding of who you are and you and you have to be able have to be able to converse you have to be able to have that have that conversation piece. Expect that conversation. Be able to to give an answer to that conversation because that's how you build up the rapport that they're going to trust you to do your job.
0: And equally, they they have an incredible support team around them in terms of you know they're all family, be courtiers and within government, you know, cabinet ministers and and special advisors that kind of support their day to day life, but. You know, if you if you talk about a period in time when you, when you're at Royalty Protection and 2011 saw a significant amount of public disorder across London as a resulting of the the, the shooting of of Mark Duggan and and, and Tottenham and, and that fallout, there there must be a a level of apprehension amongst principals in terms of is it safe for us to to go out at the moment? Should we be going out, Simon? What are your thoughts in terms of me going out? You know, are those are there those robust conversations around you know issues such as 2011?
1: Yes, there are, and and you will work with you know, senior members of the household to, in the first instance, establish. You know, should this visit actually take place?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, so by the time you get to have a conversation with the principals around it, they have trusted you that you have put all the contingencies in place that you can to mitigate those risks uh, and to allow this event to take place. You know, and you know, again, you know, we're significant public disorder, um, terrorist threat kind of increasing around that time as well. So, you know, you do have principals who are stepping out with the view that in the back of their mind, this could be the last time that they do it because somebody could do them some harm. And when you look at senior members of the Royal Family, we are, or rather, they are always in harm's way. We are all, they always want to go and meet kind of members of the public and they all want to go and shake hands and establish you know why why people are there, what, what have they come for, they want to have that conversation piece. And you as the protection officer and the protection team as a wider group and then as the wider policing plan have to allow that to happen. And 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 again they they trust you to do that because at some point there's going to be the the occasion whereby you say, right, we will now have to leave. It is no longer safe for us to be here. And they have to trust you that you're making the right decision. Because again, the connotations of, of that, you know, if it's an if it's an overreaction could be as bad as an underreaction. You know, how does that look for mm. for the royal family, British policing and so on and so forth? So so they, they trust you, but but that's all because you have that have that communication piece. You know, you, you've got to be able to communicate with senior members of the royal family, with senior members of the royal household. Senior police officers, you know, you'll be going on a recce um, into the counties, you know, and you will be dealing with the chief constable of a certain police force, you know, and you're there representing the metropolitan police service, you know, and this is what we'd this is what we'd like to happen, you know, how can you best support us, kind of to achieve that? You've got to be able to to have that conversation. You've got to be able to have a little bit of uh, give and take.
0: Mm, You've attacked. got
1: to understand. You have, yes, you know, because of course, you know, putting a a royal visit into their particular force area may put a tremendous strain on their policing resources. So you've got to do that uh, in the best way to achieve the security that you need, whilst not stripping the local community of their of their policing assets. So you know, you've got to have cooperation, but you've also, you know, sometimes when you cooperate, you kind of have a little bit of a step back, don't you? You know, you kind of, okay, well, if I give you that, will you give me this? And I and I can't now for the life of me think of a word that I use every other time where I have these conversations and it's gone <laughs> kind of completely. um
0: Well, let's move on to my next point. Yeah. Whilst you think of on. that word. But, you know, the complexities of protection work, and again, regardless whether it's royalty or diplomatic, you know, prime ministers, the royal family, the queen, you know, his majesty, the king, Going overseas is one of the many challenges, you know, of international visits to countries within the Commonwealth and working with other agencies, partner agencies, in maintaining that bubble of security around your principle. You know, there must be challenges when you go to countries that really don't have, you know, without naming any, the, the skill sets that the MET possesses in the ability to keep people safe when you're going into countries that don't have that level of capability and don't have that skill set how do you without offending other country nations in terms of their security capability still maintain complete control of the environment and what's going on
1: so th- that comes down to negotiation and compromise yeah you know that's that's the um, that's the piece that you're looking for because of course when you go overseas you're, you you the, the host has primacy around that Policing, stroke security operation, and understanding then how they they would normally do it. Where does the security role lie? in In lots of places, it lies with the police service. But then in other countries, it lies with the military, and in some places, it lies um, in a militia type role as well. So establishing who does what, where everybody's responsibilities are, what their level of um, kind of training are, what weapons. They will also use what vehicles we intend to use. All this comes in when, you know, it's their operation and you're you're trying to explain to them, well, this is what we need to achieve. How do we look to seek it? And, and you enter into a, a process of uh, negotiation and compromise. Um, you know, you have to be very, very tactful around that because obviously you don't want anybody to feel uh, embarrassed because of maybe things that they, they don't have. As much as you need to say, well, this actually doesn't fit with what we're looking to achieve, you know, whereby, you know, they've offered you, you know, maybe thousands of soldiers, you know, right. That's not what we're, what we need to achieve. Not you know, so how do we, yeah. no. So how do we strike that balance? Um, but again, you know, lots of people are very respectful. You're, you're there with a senior member of the Royal Family Your the Metropolitan Police Service is an organisation that is renowned throughout the world. I still think it is renowned throughout the world. And, you know, lots of people will will want to work with the officers from Scotland Yard, because that's the way that they perceive it. So, you know, you, you enter into that element of negotiation and compromise to achieve a successful outcome, but you always have to be mindful that, you know, it's, it's their show, and you're there just supporting it to a certain extent by bringing your your principles, kind of, into their show. and um, it's the same one we used to go into the counties. You know, the counties have primacy whenever you step outside of outside of London, and you know, you've got to work with um, you know, various local commanders and chief constables to achieve what what you need to achieve as well to, to make sure that you don't lose anything that you're trying to achieve. Uh, it, you know, certainly around safety, of those principles.
0: We often forget that there is. Still, a very human element to the British royal family. That you know, they laugh, they cry. You know, they go through the same family issues that we all go You know, there's there was nothing more confronting, nothing more remind me of that more than watching during Her Majesty the Queen's funeral, uh, the emotion on the family's faces. It, you know, the grief. You know, they still still go through the same emotions that we all do. I think sometimes we forget that.
1: After the pipers' lament the first verse of God Save the King. The King's emotion on show in a way the Queen's never was. The period of mourning drawing to a close
0: and with it, an era. And and you would be present during some of those particular moments when they laugh and when they cry and you know ultimately are there any times where you've had a chuckle with you know I know we recall the story that you had with the Duke of Edinburgh uh, we where, where too many candles were lit which made a room too warm Tell us these types of stories which remind you that these are normal this is a normal you know normalish families
1: it, it is and, and you have to you have to understand the human element around it yes you have to be extremely respectful and extremely professional. Um, but you know there is time to have to see the human element, you know. And yes, you know, the royal family are humans, the same as the rest of us. They are um, parents, grandparents, brothers, sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know exactly the same dynamics as lots of other families. And yes, you know there is there is a time that, as a protection officer, you must probably spend more time with them than any other member of the royal household. You you occupy a unique position by being their police officer. You know, that is your that is your chosen role. Protection of the royal family is a British policing responsibility. You know, you're in a very unique position and and you do take on the, the public facing, you do take on the private uh, and the confidential scenarios as well. But yes, you, you have to remember that they are normal people and, and they will communicate as such. And, and you've got to be able to, to hold that Conversation And yes, you know, I can remember my first trip to, to Balmoral, which is the one you refer to, and um, we were up in one of the bothies of an evening, and my colleague and I, whilst um, lighting the candles, because there was no electricity there, we got, a, we got a little bit carried away, and we we actually lit all the candles, um, which was was quite a few, was, you know, into the hundreds within this kind of bothy. And, and then when we handed over the venue to the next team, um, and stepped away and, and just observed. We couldn't understand why they, all the members of the royal family and their guests, which was the uh, the queen and the duke of Edinburgh, were sitting outside of the Bothy. Which you know it wasn't a particularly great night, and you know couldn't really figure it out. But didn't think anything more of it. And at, at the end of the evening, the, the crown equerry kind of called us down for a debrief because the other another couple of teams had taken the principals back back to the castle and. Um, you know, the Crown Equity said, "Oh, great night, fellas, but can you just do me one favour? Don't light so many candles next time." Because what actually happened was that when we closed the door before um, the principals arrived to maintain the integrity of the bill and then handed it over, they'd actually been delayed. So actually, the heat had been allowed to build up, kind of within that particular bothy. And as soon as they opened the door, um, it was described as if they just, you know, got off a plane into an extremely hot country. And that's why they had to sit outside because there was no other way of, of cooling it down. So he said, yeah, you know, not a problem. Uh, apologies. You know, we got a bit carried away and he was, he was just, you know, fine about it. He was, a, he was previously a colonel in, in the military and kind of fully understood um, what life was all about. So the following night we had to do the same thing and we were very mindful of how many candles we lit this time. We thought, well, there was enough for light, but maybe not too much. And um, the Duke of Edinburgh was the first first principal app and uh, he kind of just walked past us didn't acknowledge us at all opened the door to the to the both he stuck his head in and said oh not too many candles tonight and both <laughs> my colleague and i you know i think if if anybody had seen our pictures you know, our faces at, at that time there were a picture with all the thoughts of we must probably going to be sent back to london in disgrace you know and maybe kind of marched out of the department and and, and back to back to some somewhere else and um the Duke in his own invisible way, you know, said that phrase, laughed to himself, clearly saw our faces and and knew what the impact of that statement would have, and then just walked off and that was it, you know, kind of gone. But um, you know, that was part and parcel of it. That's that's the humorous side, that's the that's the human side. And um yeah, you know, you used to see it, you know, many a time, you know, kind of kind of counting corgis. you know, what another story that springs to mind when we used to count the corgis in and out of out of the queen's car because again you know to lose a corgi you know wasn't wasn't great especially in the in the long grass and um the queen had a guest with her and as i opened the door to let let the queen out she was reiterating the story that you know actually you know we we count the corgis as well and at that point you know my colleague was counting the corgis out of the out of the back of the car you know one two three four and, and she said to her guests see i wasn't wasn't making it up you know that's what they do and um, you know that was the human human side of it and um, certainly when you when you're in private you know that's what you see and, and many people when they reiterate stories of, of the royal family that they've met you know state how much of a human side they have you know especially um, at various events or certainly some occasions when the royal family will attend and you know there's been Uh, a tragic incident or something like that. You know, they're they're very human. And certainly, you know, one one episode that always sticks in my mind is when uh, the Prince of Wales, um, His Majesty the King, would go and see the returning soldiers um, to what was uh, uh, Selly Oak Hospital at the time and and Queen Elizabeth II Hospital in Birmingham. You know, these soldiers had come back from Afghanistan with life-changing, life-shortening, injuries, you know, and they were always so upbeat to see the Prince of Wales and he would spend time with them, he'd spend time with his family. There was no rush, you know, that was a day that there was never any rush to stick to the stick to the timetable, you know, he would always listen, uh, he would always talk to them, you know, he'd always thank them for their service as well, which was really important to some of these young lads who were, you know, in their late teens, early 20s, who'd lost all their lower limbs, you know, or can kind have, of, wow. you know, lost their lower limbs and an arm and you know, they'd only just got married before they'd gone on tour or their daughter had just been born and you know now they you know they've got no hands to hold their newborn child with and these things, you know, and that that's the human element. That's that's the things that people don't see yet. The people that they speak to, that's what they remember.
0: And equally, you know, they participate Actively in in military service themselves, you know. If we reflect on the, you know, Prince Harry, Duke of Sussex, going off to Afghanistan and doing tours, and you know that provides another dynamic completely in terms of how do how do we keep the second in line, um, or third in line to the throne, safe in a in a war zone. You know, that's an, another complexity in itself in terms of risk assessment and managing it. But allowing an individual to live a you know some level of normality in terms of a, a military life in understanding what that's about and and the responsibilities that go with it. Some breaking news now, and in the last few minutes, the Ministry of Defence has announced that Prince Harry has left Afghanistan after his second tour of duty.
1: One of the big questions was whether he'd become a target and thus put other soldiers at risk. Another big question, how he feels about his brother not being here. Harry is not afraid of going off message. There is a bit of jealousy, not just the fact that I get to fly this, but obviously he'd love to be out here and I don't see why, to be honest with you, I don't see why he couldn't. Um, his job out here would be flying the IIT or whatever, doing Chinook missions, just the same as us. No one knows who's in the cockpit. Um, yes, you would get shot at, but you know, the, guy, if, the guys are being, if the guys who are doing the same job as us are being shot at on the ground, And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with us being shot at as well. Um, and yeah, people back home will have issues with that, but we're not special. Um, the guys out there are as simple as that absolutely and, and that as the security professional the, the protection officer is always is always something you're seeking to do you know you're always allowing your principal to lead the life that they want mm. whilst under the security that you're you're providing and you know you are always seeking to do that because otherwise if you do it and it becomes security so constrained it will actually get to the point of failure and, and your principal will Will not use it and, and go against it, and therefore yeah. defeat the whole object of, of why it's put in place. But yes, allowing principals to do um, to do what they would like to do and, and supporting them in the best way as a professional is is really key. You know, you've got to understand what the what the threat and risk is. Is that is that threat actual or is it perceived? You know, is that risk generic or is it specific? You know, once you understand your your baseline threats, you can then work in all the mitigation and all the contingencies that you need to keep your, your principle safe. Um, and that is something that is constantly, constantly evolving. You know, you, you, you're always trying to be proactive around that. You're always trying to understand the environment, you know, both in terms of the intelligence picture, the, the geography that you're going into, um, you know, who's saying what and, and how that, how that profile is changing. And, and, it, and it moves around. You can't, very much say, well, this is what it was yesterday. So this is what we're gonna gonna do today. And yes, it constantly changes and when you have members of the royal family that are in military service, you have to put packages in and around that to kind of protect them in, in the environments that they are. You know, very similar, but with obviously different connotations to when you know members of the royal family go to engagements and um, are involved in royal walkabouts and in and moving from um, Venue to venue, you know, all these things are constantly, constantly under review, and you're doing them in the in the safest possible means.
0: It must, you know, when Her Majesty the Queen passed away very recently, and and prior to that, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, you know, two individuals that have been around our lives, you know, as a constant, a lot of emotion, not only locally or nationally here in the UK, um, but even across the world there must be an if, There must be an added level of emotion for someone like yourself and other members of the team that have been part of that protection element of her detail spanning back 70 years in terms of her time on the throne and, and, and knowing that she's no longer with us and neither is the Duke of Edinburgh. It must, be, it must be, I imagine an extra level of emotion and proudness that you are part of that process of keeping her safe and her family safe in terms of when she was at the realm of, of our country and the Commonwealth.
1: Yes, it was. It was an emotional time. It was a time that, bizarrely, whilst you knew it was would happen, you never thought it would happen. Yeah. Uh, and I've spoken to lots of former colleagues who've who've said exactly the same thing. You know, and these are very intelligent people, um, very experienced people in life. You know, to say a statement like that, you think, "All oh, right, we obviously haven't got a full grasp of what's going on," but it was just the the position that the the Queen was in. Um, you know it, it, it for for lots of people you know, including myself you know i'm 50 years of age now and i've only ever son god save the queen yeah you know and when you hear it god save the king for the first time you think it just doesn't sound right mm. you know it, it's things it's things like that but yes it was an emotional time because you you didn't think it was going to happen and that that day when the announcement started to come out of the palace that the queen um wasn't very well and the, the the terminology that they used i can remember thinking that's not right mm. that doesn't sound right that's not the wording that they would use um under, i think it was under this, close
0: medical supervision
1: yes you know and that that's something that um the palace of very because of the because of the connotations of it yeah. you know you know what if there is going to be a a changing of the guard you know and and they're fully aware of that and then when the family were being moved, you know, senior members of the royal family are now moving to Balmoral. You think, yeah. okay, that's not a good sign mm. either. Because from a protection officer's perspective, that's a nightmare because they're all over the place. And now you've got to gather them all together and, and take them to Balmoral. And then I think the next announcement for me was they're now all on the same plane. And you mm. think, whoa, that's not something we normally do. Um, you know, you've put all the lines of succession all on the same plane. Um, This must be really serious. Um, And then you've got to the time where it's, you know, six o'clock and I think the, uh, Hugh Edwards, the newsreader, had already put a black tie on. And I can remember being at home and the, I'd already done one media interview for Sky News, who said, you know, asked very, you know, does this feel right to you? What are your thoughts, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and I can remember looking at my phone, and as it came through on my phone, the announcement that Majesty the Queen had passed away. So my television screen went blank at the same time, yeah. and then um, a minute later, Hugh Edwards then came along and said, uh, Her "Majesty the Queen had passed away," and it was it was surreal. It was, yeah, yeah. Like I said as if um, time had just stood still for a second um, and you kind of you take it all in and you you think about it, and then you come back into the room and think right okay you know that's extremely sad um, you know it's it's going to be extremely emotional um, from the Prince of Wales's perspective it's it's now you know he was only become king at the death of the Queen but the Queen's his mother you know how does how does all that kind of mm-hmm. fit in you know he's getting he's going to get the, the job that he's been in the longest apprenticeship for in history. Um, but you only get it on the death of your own mother. And, you know, the emotions that go go with that, you know, even when he returned to Buckingham Palace a couple of days after and immediately went out and, and spoke to people, um, which, you know, I thought was extremely touching of everybody that had come out to see him. But, you just think that has got to be, no matter who you are, one of the toughest, toughest gigs in the world. You know, you, you've just lost your mother. You've now um, ascended to the throne and you've got to go out and meet your people and almost tell everybody that everything's going to be okay. Mm. You know, you're going to tell the world because of the fact that the queen was such an iconic figure, the, the stability, the continuity that so many of us knew and you're standing there saying it's going to be okay you know and i've got my emotions but i'm telling you um members of the public um that everything's going to be okay and um yeah i just thought that was uh, real real dignified and a real kind of strength to kind of do that and then you switch back around again then you look at it from a professional's perspective Right, where the protection officers standing? All oh, right, okay. okay. And again, I, I I feel just because I you look at it with a professional's head on, protection officers were front and center for that whole period.
0: And they were spoken about open, you know, very you know one th- was one of my observations was is that suddenly that entire process over the next week or two was analysed to the most minute detail. We've started to talk about the royalty protection officers intimately about their appearance and who they were and I, and I vividly remember the the, the the king doing that crowd walk in front of Buckingham Palace and and people actually getting quite close to him in terms of one person actually kissed when him King Charles III arrived back at Buckingham Palace yesterday he spent a great deal of time greeting members of the public yes but we all remember it was one eager fan that left the whole world talking. <laughs> And I sat there thinking to myself, you know, when the Queen ascended to the throne, you know, coming back, you know, whilst on tour in South Africa and, you know, they were very, very different times in terms of the threats which exist in society that do today. And I felt very nervous, even for the protection team standing around with these people showing what was incredible level of support. But one should never try and confuse that with threats that could exist and come from nowhere, totally unexpected I would imagine being in their shoes, that would have been an incredibly tense moment to allow the king to show stability in the monarchy, which is incredibly important for this country and the Commonwealth to be able to show that there is a swift transition from one monarch to the next, and there's going to be no problems. I'm now in charge. Like you say, I've been rehearsing in this role for many months. There's been a a long apprenticeship, but now it's started. But it was so quick, and it was so large, and it was so in your face that, you know, the planning, which must have gone in the background, and we, you know, we can't talk about in detail of, of course, but they would have been very stressful times for I would imagine a lot of people
1: absolutely, absolutely, and from a protection perspective, it is the same, but different. Mm. You know, you're, so the Prince of Wales's team changed name. they didn't change kind of personnel in any way, you know they just changed name. they were now the king's team, but the connotations of that are massive. You know, there's been a complete change kind of around that. And yes, the pressure that was on those officers was vast, you know, and they were in a position of actually we've got to see this through now for the next kind of 10, you know, 12 days when when that period of uh, official mourning was in place all the way up all the way up to the funeral. You know, we've got to see this kind of through and, and go through the plans and review the plans, uh, knowing full well that the king is going to want to go and meet people and people are going to want mm-hmm. to meet him. Um, the Duke of pra- Cambridge steps up and becomes the Prince of Wales. Now he's in a more senior position. He's going to go and want to meet people as well. Um, and again, show that level of, of continuity, that, that swift um, changeover, like you say. Um, you know, And that transition now, there's, there's nothing to worry about and, th- and they're going to do that. And, and yes, I do feel that at all aspects of that period, um, from the Queen's death to the Queen's funeral, UK policing was in the spotlight. Hugely. Metropolitan Police Service was in the spotlight. You know, the, the Queen passed away in Scotland and therefore had a Scottish element to it, which Police Scotland kind of dealt with in conjunction with the Metropolitan Police Service, because RASP, Royalty and Specialist Protection, have the overall um, command of that of that operation or, or kind of interface with parts of that operation. And then it came... Then it came back to London, and um, yes, it, it, every aspect of London Bridge centred around the policing plan. From you know, yes, the protection officers, but also the um, the wider policing family. Whether that be when the Special Operations Group brought uh, Queen Elizabeth II's body back to Buckingham Palace, mm. and in all the rain. Uh, and the the dark lights bowed their head as um, they went through the center gate you know that was the most poignant moment mm. for me you know that was like wow you know and that and the emotion then come comes back into it um because you know those the guys in the bike had done such a, a fabulous job but they still showed professionalism and dignity you know at the end you know which was which was really important but you know all the way through um every, every public facing part of that period of mourning period of transition and then the funeral itself uh royalty protection rasp metropolitan police service uk policing because you know there were so many police officers brought into london Mm. as well to deal with on on mutual aid Um, you know i think it was it was just it put british policing kind of back on the map or certainly said you know we are we are as good as we've we've said we are. Yes, we've had our kind of problems, but you know we are we are still good at um, policing an event of this scale. At the end of her coronation in 1953, the great gold state coach brought the young queen through this centre gate to start her reign. Her duty done, she returns to the same palace. With such a vast book of duties done, engagements completed, her service finally completed for the United Kingdom,
0: and a huge initial challenge for Sir Mark Rowley, who took over as the Commissioner of Police literally within days. You know what a what a. What an entrance into policing in terms of... He's not, he's not unfamiliar with the environment, don't get me wrong. He's years and years of experience, especially you know, in terms of counter-terrorism and, and actually being responsible for the Royal Family Security. You know, got all down pat, but having to come in and oversee one of the largest policing operations that's ever existed, I think it's one thing the Met can be incredibly proud of, equally British policing, because as you say, mutually, it's not just the Met. There are numbers of county forces which come in to support what is one of the biggest operations, one of the most viewed events of a generation, of a lifetime, to go so successfully and so well is an absolute credit to British policing.
1: Very much so. And I think um, from the commissioner's perspective, I think it, it was his first day in the office, wasn't it? Yeah. I think, mm. um, you know, and, and that's, you know, one hell of a first day to come into. You know, what's, mm. okay, what's on my desk? Well, all this. Like yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but like you say, you know, Smarter earlier had occupied um, senior positions in the MPS before he was kind of um, assistant commissioner of special operations, which, like you say, um, had protection of the royal family mm-hmm. uh, within his portfolio. He would have been aware of the bridge's plan, but nonetheless, to actually get that on your first day in the office is a massive, um, massive pressure that goes with it because of because of all the connotations that go with that policing operation. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's the Metropolitan Police Service. Yes, it's Kind of UK policing. It's the Home Office. It's it's everything that goes with um, that the, the Britishness of it all. The, the United Kingdom, UK PLC, um, it has extreme connotations around around the globe for what is going to be most probably one of the most watched events, maybe in world in world history. Um, and everybody's going to everybody's going to see that, and, and everybody and everybody played its played its part of from a. the wider policing family and i think it it showed that despite what people say policing in the uk does have its challenges Um, but when it comes to something like that and everybody coming together to play their individual role their team role their organizational role within that wider policing plan then you know i thought that is a real credit to british policing it's a massive challenge for the metropolitan police and for me personally but we have been preparing for many, many years. There's some very diligent, determined people who've put a lot of effort into this, and indeed myself in my previous roles in the Metropolitan Police five, six years ago, I was involved in some of that planning and I've been involved in a review recently. But most of all, I have a lot of trust and confidence in the fantastic police officers who are going to support this event and help make it safe. And they have been working with colleagues from across government and the Royal households, and others, as you would expect. So we will have a safe event, but we're going to be putting thousands of officers into this um, because of the level of security required and the millions of people who want to pay their respects.
0: There is the added challenge uh, when members of the Royal family step away from public life um, for whatever reason, and the challenges that then exist and fall on private pr- providers' to provide that support and that security protection that bubble which is still very much necessary for people that are of significant profile and of background and association still to a very very important global family you know and there are tragedies years gone by you know the death of princess diana in terms of you know what happened to her in terms of her security team and the drivers and all that issue and today we talk about the duke and duchess of sussex and the challenges that they are no doubt facing from the recent media exposure that they've had and i think to some extent my concerns around how the media commentate on this stuff and increase that threat which i think they face ever more would you agree that the challenges that are faced in that when when one exits or royal family and and you have this protection bubble around you and you have this significant media exposure that the risks are ever present they don't really change from what they were when you were a primary member of the royal family they just move to a private team to a private organization which you hope has received significant training and an ability to support And i think it's been well documented the protection team around the duke of sussex you know americans form a presidential protection team so it's important to maintain that level of safety and security
1: Yes, I mean, there are challenges. There's always going to be challenges when you, you step away from a, a government-backed security package and step into the private sector, because there are restrictions as you go from one to the other, you know, and it's not just the things that people focus on, such as, you know, the carriage of firearms um, or not. Um, but, you know, it's how you, how you interact with other stakeholders, um, mm-hmm. both in terms of, uh, official organizations and how you how you move around from one part kind of to the other uh, as well as the the intelligence picture and that's what's probably one of the biggest um, biggest difficulties i think that you'll find going from the the government side into the into the private side is how um you access that intelligence piece when prince harry and megan stepped back from being senior royals they lost their top level security protection Now, Prince Harry's legal team is challenging that decision. Prince Harry has threatened the British government with legal action after they denied him and his family police protection in the UK. The Duke of Sussex wants to bring his son, Archie, and daughter, Lilibet, to visit from the US, uh, but he says he and his family are unable to return home because it's just too dangerous. Now, from a a UK government perspective, there is still a, a duty of care. Um, attached to the Sussexes and they still have to understand what that intelligence picture looks like and, and there's elements of that which will which will need to be shared. You know, from the Sussexes perspective, um, certainly from the Duke, you know, he's had protection since he was born. He mm-hmm. fully understands what it's what it's all about, fully knows um, how it works and what it what it needs to look like. He has, in some aspects, tried to try to mirror that within a private security team by seeking former members of royalty protection and indeed members of the secret service um, in the us as well to bring all that experience and knowledge to look after himself and his family Um, but you know there will always be slight differences there will always be nuances and you know certainly when you step away from that official side and go into the private side as other members of the royal family have already done there, there is always going to be difficulties within that transition, um, and yes, you know you, you do come back to seeking it to establish what is the threat and risk. You know, and, and you look at it from a, you know, what is that threat? You know, is it um, perceived or actual? Is that risk generic or specific? And and when you look at senior members of our family, there is always a, a a generic level to that to that threat because they are. Senior members of the British Royal Family, then when you look at it from the Duke of Sussex's perspective, he is the King's son, he is the Prince of Wales, his brother, uh, he is a former military veteran, having served two operational tours of Afghanistan. So then you've got to you've then got to drill into into the Pacifics, because you know, as a as a former member of the military, you know, as all current and veterans of the military, except there is a generic risk to the role that they have done and the uniform that they have put on. But then you, know, you have to drill down into the Pacifics. And, and again, you'd have former members of the military be involved in high profile cases or their units have been involved in high profile deployments. That that changes the risk dynamic. And um, When you look at now the Duke of Sussex and some of his comments in relation to um, his operational tour as, as an Apache co-pilot and the killing of combatants in Afghanistan—that is going to change the specifics of that threat against him, and and that needs to be that needs to be reviewed. That needs to be understood. You know, analysts now will have to look at that from the security services and say, okay, you know, how has that changed the previous threat and risk to where we are now? Um, you know, there has been comments from the Taliban in Afghanistan to say that Prince Harry is a is a war kind of criminal there has been hate preachers here in the UK over the weekend who have stated that uh, military assets um, around the world now need to be targeted now the intelligence analysis will look at the people that have said that and see how much influence do those people actually have to influence others to carry out those attacks so how does that how does that see that risk profile change um, you know, threats to UK assets um, or threats to the UK currently sit as substantial. Uh, mm. JTAC, the, the Joint Threat Assessment Centre, has put that the terrorist threat to the UK is substantial, meaning a an attack is likely. Now, the next level up from that is severe, meaning an attack is highly likely. I mean, substantial is always always the level that we're at, um, you know, and have been for many many years, given the given the current climate. So. It's, it's understanding now what that threat picture looks like, you know, and whether um, people that wish to do us harm uh, will do us harm. Are they in a position to do us harm? And again, you know, that's uh, not just the Sussexes um, and their family. Um, it is the Royal Family, it is His Majesty's government, His Majesty's armed forces, His Majesty's police service, all those connotations um, that you would class as British assets that now needs to be looked at um, and i should imagine there's most probably in-depth reviews going at the moment you know with regards to events that the royal family attended and potentially events that the the sussexes will be attending themselves because that risk profile has now changed from not just the people who wish to wish to do them harm but also the fixated individual as well that may have triggered something in somebody's mind that now they feel they may need need to act uh, or, or indeed the single cause issue that will use this current media frenzy to highlight um, their cause within the media uh, and, and all these things are now firmly you know at the foot of the protection team you know and the team leaders in the op- and the officers that are doing the job they've got to now um, reanalyze everything reevaluate everything to see whether um, the mitigation they put in place is competent composite with the rest and a former british army commander in afghanistan believes harry's words could put the lives of current troops in danger and so i think it will this will incite some people to to maybe attempt an attack against british soldiers anywhere in the world or form and particularly his comments about about how they don't don't regard you know their enemy fighters as being human beings either. and then of course there's the danger to himself but i think the impact on his own Personal security is greater. And from the UK's former national security advisor. If I'd been advising um, the prince, I would have advised against the kind of detail that he goes into. You know,
0: I often sit and worry that I think there should be more accountability on the media in terms of what they do put out. You know, if I use the example, you know, Pierce Morgan has gone on this relentless um, dialect and I say attack, but he's he certainly criticised the Sussex significantly in most shows that he's done in the past one one to two weeks. I I fear that that creates an atmosphere, it creates tension, it creates hostility towards those individuals and, and creates greater security threats, especially if they're not reported dreadfully accurately in terms of being able to kind of over inflate a particular paragraph out of a book can be interpreted by somebody who then watches that news story as completely different and and, and inflames the situation. Should there be a greater level of accountability on journalists and the way they report on some of these stories?
1: I think that's always always a difficult question and was probably one for somebody with greater experience than me mm-hmm. to answer. But you know, accountability of the media is always an issue. You know, and I think if we're looking at the current situation, you're most probably looking at intention Mm. versus interpretation. Um, You know, and that interpretation, as we know, both being experienced police officers, you know, that interpretation is uh, very subjective. Mm. Um, You know, what it means to one person, it means something kind of totally different to others. And, you know, I think the Sussexes, they do polarize views to a certain extent, you know, you've got extreme supporters on one side and you've got extreme detractors kind of on the other side and therefore that naturally creates conflict uh, you know as it as it does when you have those two extremes you know not no matter what you're kind of talking about um it's 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 a difficult situation to manage when ultimately you have no control um on those issues and if you tried to seek control then you would be in the scenario of well, you're just trying to kind of gag freedom of speech or yeah. the freedom of the media. Mm-hmm. You know, this is always the um, the caveat that kind of gets thrown back. But nonetheless, I think there has to be a degree of of responsible journalism. Yeah, um, people have to understand what they say and how that can draw um, influence to others. You know mm-hmm. that that's. That's something that you know it is a reality, and maybe people need to be held held to account to that. Who's the accountable body for that? Is most probably a, another difficult question. Um, I know lots of um, lots of people think the police are responsible for everything, but you know I don't think that's a that's a role that policing needs to get kind of rolled into. Albeit it has has in the past, um, you know, with a degree of. Um, success but then a degree of criticism as well so you know it's extremely difficult so I I don't think I'd like the police to go off and fight the good fight in relation to that but um, yeah I think responsible journalism is important um, because certainly in this 24-hour media that we live in now you know in our days of growing up you know it was we would be reading tomorrow something that Happened most probably on Saturday. Well, of yeah. course, that's that's gone. And as the old adage, it then becomes the day after's kind of chip wrappers. But mm. now we're in a scenario of twenty-four hour media where it happens, it's out there. You're not bringing it back, mm. and you know people can take all the um, inference and influence that they want from whatever they've seen, whatever they've been told. Um, and like I said, that is now extremely difficult to control you know both not just here in the uk but globally
0: 2013 you you exit uh, the met and you've moved into the private sector you're a regular commentator on um news channels right across the world you know we've spoken about news and some funny anecdotal stories off off air about our time in australia and on the cameras and and you're a regular on UK television sets in terms of providing you know the very unique commentary you have done tonight in terms of the ability to articulate it and and present it so eloquently what's your life like now post policing
1: Uh, it's enjoyable I'm I'm very fortunate that I set up a a private security consultancy called Trojan consultancy and um, I work with all my old former colleagues Um, you know maybe we've We've lost the badges and the guns, but we do nonetheless a similar element of work for a similar kind of person. I mean, yeah. I say we, we look after the skewed requirements of people of wealth, visibility and status around the globe. That's our kind of strap line. And that's because of the the role that we had in both Royalty protection, SO1 ministerial protection and what is RASP now, but but also the wider policing family. You know, not everybody on the team is a former protection officer because we do a variety of different things but but everybody is a police officer that is something that you know we stick to quite quite rigidly because mm-hmm. i know i know the skill set both in terms of hard skill set and soft skill set a lot of the a lot of the work that we do working with principals is very very personalized you know and you've got to get those those personalities right because whilst the hard skill set is very very similar across the team. The personalities do do differ as as, as you'd expect, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know that's been in place now since uh, 2013. So we're rolling into our tenth year. Um, had a lot of challenges during during COVID because we you know occupy very much the um, the ultra high net worth market, and lots of those individuals weren't in weren't weren't in the UK when we had the. The draconian measures and the and the lockdown, they were kind of elsewhere. So, you know, we've had a period now of having to rebuild the business. We didn't we didn't lose clients, we just lost work. Um, and and um, yeah, you know, we've had a very very good last six months. Certainly, um, Christmas 2022 was the busiest Christmas we've ever had, and that was a variety of different different uh, taskings from. Um, working for a very renowned kind of retailer and um, providing security to to them um, lots of events there was certainly a, um, a a rush to get events that previously hadn't been able to take place because of because of lockdown um, so we did a, a lot of events um, some of the restaurants we looked after extremely busy and, and lots of principals coming into the uk because of that pent-up Frustration that in years past they haven't been able to to come in. So yes, it was it was a kind of a busy time. But yeah, I'm very fortunate in what I do. I still do it um, with some exceptionally talented people, um, all of which are former police officers who who honed that talent um, in the police service and, and the majority of cases in the Met's protection department. Um, and and there is certainly a market for for delivering. That UK policing model of discreet and unobtrusive to clients. You know, not everybody wants the the big, brash, showy security teams. You know, of of um, multiple car convoys and uh, you know, people jumping out of cars and, and talking into their sleeves and dark glasses. You know, that's <laughs> um, that's not what what we do. Um, but there is a market for principals who who want that discreet and unobtrusive approach and want to make use of our vast experience is from our times in policing uh, because that's, that's given us the foundation to move into the private sector um, is our foundation in, in policing. And uh, as with all cops, you know, they, they love to talk to people. So you know, that's, um, that's good. Everywhere we are um, working, everybody always says you know, how nice the, the team are you know, and how, how they can talk to people. You know, that, that is that, you know, it, it's what you're taught at, at Hendon, you know, how to communicate. And, you know, and that still sees us through now today. Yes, extremely hard skill set, um, extremely capable skill set. But what do we do as a team more than anything else day in, day out? We talk to people. We talk to people. We understand um, their needs, their requirements, their expectations. Um and yeah, you know, I'm I'm very fortunate that Trojan Consultancy has given me another another lease of life. Um, and yeah, but the key thing is I, I get to work still get to work with with some exceptionally talented people.
0: Well, Simon, you know, we've been sitting here cathartically chatting for nearly two hours. I must admit it's been an incredibly insightful walk down your life in policing and the exposure you've had from general duties, patrols out of graduation into TSG into ARVs and then into Royalty Protection absolute fascinating insights and and some great explanations which hopefully give people a better understanding as to the complexities of some of those roles that you've filled throughout your career so on behalf of my team on the Protect and Serve podcast we thank you ever so much for your service, Um, we thank you for coming on the show and for giving us the insights you have done this evening and like always, we wish you the very best with your work in Trojan Consultancy and the work you do for clients now all over the world. It sounds uh, incredibly interesting and we wish you the best of luck.
1: Ollie, thank you very much. It's been um, two hours have flown by, so I think we could most probably do it another two hours as well.
0: <laughs> Thanks very much. Protect and Serve is a mash Pumpkin production hosted by Oliver Lawrence, research and questions by Oliver Lawrence and Robert Wynn-Stanley Produced, edited and sound designed by
1: Jack.